0: While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell down, or he fell with his face to the ground, and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean, and immediately the leprosy left him. Then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing, as a testimony to them. Yet the news about him spread all the more so that the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. May God bless the hearing and reading his holy word. Let us pray. Lord, open up our eyes and our hearts that through your word proclaimed, we may encounter you, the living God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Since I, uh, since we've moved to Vermont, I've I've often thought about my father. My father died in 2018, and he would have loved it up here. He was a West Virginia born and bred, loved Alaska and Canada. He was a, and he, I think he came through here one time. Um, but I was thinking this weekend. I, I don't know if you ever had this experience, but for whatever reason, weather was a competition with my dad. So for instance, I'd call him and say, hey, how much snow did you get? I, he asked me. I said, oh, we got six inches. And he goes, oh, we had about eight or nine here. Mm-hmm. And at one time, I just tested him, right? OK, I said, uh, he asked, how much snow did you get? I said, oh, I think about four inches. He goes, well, we had six here. I go, you know, I think we actually had seven here. <laughs> and then he goes, well, you know, I think we had nine. I don't know how far it would have gone, right? But this weekend, I'd have won the temperature battle, right? <laughs> Glad you all survived it. You know, it's the same thing. I'm I'm thinking about starting to fish again. I really, and I'm I'm looking forward to that. But I don't understand what we do to fishing. For instance, I had a friend who was a competitive fisherman who fought and who fished in bass tournaments. Now, I don't go fishing for competition, right? Now, maybe I'll lie about how big the fish was, right? I mean, that's I think that's just sport. That's just that's good. That's good form, right? You know, that's the fish story. But I don't know, I don't know why we, we do that, right? Why do we make something fun competitive? Or maybe it's fun for them to be competitive, I guess. The same thing with fly fishing. I've, I've had a lesson and it's a beautiful thing to watch people do it, but it looks like a lot of work to me. You know, again, I don't wanna go to compete with people fishing. I don't wanna work when I'm fishing. So I don't know if I'm gonna do that or not. Um, but again, it, it's, it's funny about these fishing. When I, when I think about fishing, I have these great memories of fishing with my family, um, of fishing, particularly with my grandparents. Uh, I can clearly remember the day I had to start baiting my own hook. It's when I hooked my grandfather uh, with the hook while he was baiting my... uh, I I think that's also the day I learned how to curse as well. Um, And it was interesting. My grandmother always caught more fish than anyone else. And I, 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 you know, and... As a kid, I thought, well, okay, God likes her better than granddad, uh, which was, that was actually very clear because <laughs> she loved God very much. But there was a, she had this patience, and she was quiet, and there was just this joy. And I often wonder, like, my grandfather would get all frustrated, and, and she always caught the most fish. And there's something about this story, this, this, this wild story, where there's, there are uh, all these different layers going on here. And again, it's it's often thought of as a kid's story. You know, a Sunday school story that I have a lot of fondness of. But but there's more going on here than a kid's story or a kid's song. First of all, you have the crowds. And this is more so in Mark's gospel. But the crowds are oppressive. If you haven't got a sense of that, I mean, the crowds are gathering around Jesus. It's understandable, right? He heals the sick. They're interested in what he has to say. But increasingly... They're interested in what he can do for them, whether it be healing. You know, in a few chapters, he's going to feed the 5,000. So maybe there's something, a way he can give us food. But even more seriously, if he's the Messiah, he's the one that's going to liberate us from this Roman oppression. Remember a couple weeks ago, I think that's why he purposely picked a fight in, in, in Nazareth, right? He was trying to tell them, I'm not here to be a nationalistic revolutionary for you guys. My kingdom is not of this world. But people didn't want to hear that. So Jesus is trying to speak. It's kind of comical, you know. He's getting pushed by the crowd, and I can see Peter, James, and John who've been up all night and don't have any anything to show for their work, right? So they're just tired. They just want to go home, have breakfast, and go take a nap. Uh, they're frustrated and they're tired. But I can almost see them getting some amusement out of this preacher, this country preacher being pushed into the water. And so I don't know, as Jesus asked for it, I don't know whose idea it was. Maybe Peter offered his boat. But Jesus gets in the boat and he finishes teaching. Now, as I think about the fishermen, I mean, we don't hear what Jesus said. But what strikes me about Peter, James, and John it reminds me that it's often the little defeats in life that are the hardest, right? We often rally for the big stuff, the big challenges, right? It's it's almost like the adrenaline, and we get all geared up, but it's those little frustrations. You know, for the thirteenth time, you can't balance the ledger. You can't quite fix the doorknob. Can't find my keys and I'm in a hurry. And I think part of the cumulative effect of these little little indignities or little frustrations is they're just reminders that we really aren't in control of our of our lives, right? I can't believe I can't get this thing to work, right? I, during it was, it was zero degrees out, and I fixed something. I fixed one of the heat pumps. I have no idea how I fixed it. It may have been that little kick I gave it at the end. Uh, so, but it fixed it. So I, I'm, not, I'm not questioning the universe. But how many times did we just keep trying and trying? And I think that's often where we don't pray about those things, right? We rally around the big things, but it's often in those habits we can't quite break, the chronic pain, the chronic issue with a neighbor or a loved one. Those are things I think that often take up our energy. And I think Peter, James, and John were just done that morning. Now, so can you imagine after they've, their, their nets are clean, their nets are mended, you know, maybe they listened to Jesus a little bit, maybe they didn't, but they're getting ready to go home, and Jesus says, Hey, I think you should try fishing. I think you should try to go out there a little bit. And and I hear when Peter Stern, we were up all night doing this. By the way, we are fishermen. I don't think you are one. Mm-hmm. All right. I hear you were a decent carpenter. You're a really good speaker. But we're fishermen. Kind of, you know, mind your own business, Jesus. <laughs> but if you think we should and they're hoping alright just change your mind Jesus but he doesn't right well you know the story he gets this amazing catch of fish and it's hard to, to fully realize or make sense of what Peter does then right I mean if Peter had his wits about him he'd say hey would you like to go in business with us? <laughs> you're really good at this. We could use your help. But Peter finally realizes that there's something else going on here, right? This isn't about fishing. It's about I'm encountering something bigger than me. You, you need to get away from me. You're, you're, you know, you're scaring me. and I don't, Peter doesn't strike me as someone who's easily frightened, right? I don't know what to do with you, Jesus. Sometimes I think that's, you know, I, sometimes I think that's, you know, again, I, there's trouble with gender stereotypes, right, because most of them are, are social constructs. But I do think, um, why do men sometimes struggle with spirituality? Because there's, there's, a, there's, there's the potential of a lack of control. Okay, Loss of control. And not that women don't try to be in control of their environments, but I think we from children are geared to to be in control of ourselves, or at least give the semblance of control. And Peter goes, I don't know what to do with you. I don't know where to put this, so you need to leave. I'm not worthy to be in your presence. And what's Jesus' response? Peter, you need to go work on yourself a little bit. I think if you go take an anger management class, uh, maybe do some self-help a little bit, you need therapy. That's pretty obvious, right? I was at your house the other day. You really need therapy, Peter, right? So if you do some self-help, take a couple classes, okay? Uh, Read, you know, dressing for success, all those things, and then I'll come back and we'll have a conversation. Is that what Jesus says? (laughs) No. Peter says, I'm a sinful guy. The old, there was an old translation to say, I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm a foul-mouthed fisherman. And Jesus' response, you're exactly what I'm looking for. Now, if we really believe that, right? If we really believe that God comes to us, not at the point of our strengths and what's right about us, but it's precisely and what's not right about us, if we really believe that, not only believe it for ourselves, but believe it for other people, wow. What would that look like? Meister Eckhart, I've co this before. It's this book. Meister Eckhart was a, a 14th century scholar and mystic. But this is a book that's kind of brought him up to date translation-wise. And this is from one of his teachings. It's a little poem. It's called Love is the Lure. When the fish takes the hook, the fisherman has it no matter how it twists and turns. So it is with love. When we take hold of it, it holds us like a hook and nothing can take it from us or you or us from you. This idea of what it means for God to catch us. Now, I think it's also important to note that Jesus does not tell them what it means to go become a fisher of men. I kind of picture... Peter, James, and John, they, they're following Jesus, and maybe an hour or so later, and Jesus is ahead of them. One of them says to the other, what, it, what, the, what are we doing? Well, maybe we should ask them what it means to be a fisher of men. And so they go, James, you ask them. I'm not asking them. Peter, why don't you? I'm not going to. so they never really find out what that means immediately. The other thing is, he says, come follow me, right? He doesn't tell them where they're going. See, I think that would be something you'd want to know, right? Well, the good news is that often we don't know where the path leads, right? It's not so important where we're going in life that we're going with God. That's, that's what matters. Clarence Jordan said, Faith is not belief in spite of evidence, but a life in scorn of the consequences. In other words, faith following God is a decision. They left their nets, they left their boats, and they went on a path they did not know where it was going to lead. And if they knew how the story was going to end, at least penultimately, they probably would not have gone. But faith is trusting in the good that God will do, regardless It's not a transaction. All right, God, I'll give you this, you give me that. That's really at the heart of a lot of what American Christianity has been, right? And it's okay that that's dying because that's really paganism, bartering with God, right? Now, faith is, you called me, I trust you, let's go. Now, the first thing that happens after they... Jesus, at least in the Luke's gospel, is that he starts touching lepers. Okay? Now, that, that was a, would it be a deal breaker for most people. First of all, uh, we know now that leprosy is not that contagious, but they didn't know that then. And it's still, if you come across somebody with an extreme skin disease, it's, it's, there's a natural aversion to it, right? I've been around some folks with that. And it, it's, 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 it's a natural, I mean, it's probably evolutionary, Right. You know, this looks dangerous, I need to be away from it. But because we're not only animals, but we're animals with a consciousness and a brain, then we add negative comments, right, with the natural aversion. And lepers were kicked out of their homes, they had to leave their villages, they were kicked out of the synagogue. And the leper represents in many ways whatever is our primal fear, right? Whatever we, you know, whatever is the thing that we're most averse to in this life, right? And Jesus could have healed him by a word, right? He does that other places. Matter of fact, Jesus could have yelled at him from a distance and okay, you're okay now, all good, thanks for coming. <laughs> you don't need to get any closer, you're good now. I, I've got, I can take care of this from, from 40 feet but he purposely touches him. And it seems like the disease was advanced. Jesus may have been the first person to touch this man in 10 years. St. Francis, before he was St. Francis, was kind of a, he was a, Carouser, he was the life of the party. He was a knight, but that didn't work out so well. Uh, and you know, he has a sense that God wants more from him, but he's not sure what it is. And this is before he had taken his his vow, total vow to follow Christ, whatever. And and he had this natural version and terror of of leprosy. So he's on his horse, and a leper comes up begging, and he wants to just Ride as quickly possible the other way. By the way, I printed the, the story in the sermon. This is taken from the first biographer of Francis. But he says, no, I, I made a vow to Christ that I would follow him. And my Lord touched lepers. So in spite of his personal terror and aversion, he gets down. And the leper was just expecting him to give him a coin. But Francis gives him all the money that he has. And then he hugs him and embraces him. Now the, the legend goes that Francis gets back on his horse and the leper had disappeared. That that leper was actually Jesus. There was the one thing that was keeping him from following him, this fear and aversion. There's another version of the story later on that Francis takes care of this leper and that Through the love that Francis gave this bitter man when he died, he was totally free of his leprosy. Both are symbolic of this, that catching people means touching the lepers of this world. And sometimes that may be people that are the outsiders of this world, people who have been put to the outside on the margins. But sometimes touching a leper is confronting your own fear. If people really knew me, they would whatever, right? And realizing that that road we're to walk on is is how we're to meet Jesus in this world. There's a sense where the catching of people is how we are to be rescued. The other thing that's part of this story is when we take time to care for people in the name of God, when we take time to touch the untouchable, to listen to those who don't get listened to, to see those who are invisible in our community, to care for people that no one else seems to care for, to remember the forgotten, to give a second chance to the broken, or a third chance, or a hundredth chance. Then we're doing the business of Jesus in the world. Peter went from having a bad fishing day to a really great fishing day to a great life day, a life changing day. That's what's offered to us because Jesus comes to us and says, Every day, come follow me. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. You may remain seated, but um, instead of the creed today, I want us, in a way, As a commitment, if you would, to following Jesus, um, pray together the prayer of St. Francis that's printed in your bulletin. I think this is what it means to catch people. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there's hatred, let me bring love. Where there's offense, let me bring pardon. Where there's discord, let me bring union. Where there's error, let me bring truth. Where there is doubt, let me bring faith. Where there is despair, let me bring hope. Where there is darkness, let me bring your light. Where there is sadness, let me bring joy. O Master, let me not seek as much to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that one receives it is in self-forgetting that one finds. It is in pardoning that one is pardoned. It is in dying that one is raised to eternal life. Amen. Let's continue our worship by giving God a gifts, our lives, in our office.